Hello, 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 and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Darius Show. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about a series that I enjoy so much, I don't see enough people talking about it, so today we're diving in to the new season of The Dragon Prince. Dragon Prince is on its fifth season, actually, so it's kind of a whopper. It's planning on having seven seasons. It's on Netflix. It's one of my personal favorites, and I can't wait to dive into it. Today, we're going to be discussing, is the Dragon Prince great again, or has it fallen from its original glory? Let's get into it. Let's roll the intro and break it all down. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. So if you don't already know, the Dragon Prince is set in a fantasy world on the fictional continent of Zadia. The story centers on the human princes Callum and Ezrin and the moon shadow elf Rayla, who seek to end the thousand-year-old conflict between the human kingdoms and the Elf Kingdoms while taking care of an infant sky dragon, the Dragon Prince. Now, the synopsis that I just read off is actually just a synopsis for the original series, which would be considered seasons one through three. However, starting in season four, so for the run of season four through the potential season seven, the series kind of rebranded to a second version of itself. Think of Naruto Shippuden. Uh, that does a bit of a time skip and follows the characters a little bit later on with different conflicts going on. The description for the second series is called Mystery of Erevos. From the description alone, I'm sure you can tell that The Dragon Prince is a fantasy series. It's Game of Thrones, but a lot more wacky. In my description, it's actually Game of Thrones meets Avatar, Avatar The Last Airbender. Now, this description works perfectly because if you weren't aware, the Dragon Prince is actually made from a lot of the same creators of the original Avatar series. And if you watch this series, you can see some of that Avatar DNA woven all throughout it, and I plan on highlighting a few examples here. That being said, the series was created by Aaron E. Haas and Justin Richmond. If you're a fan of both the Avatar The Last Airbender and Dragon Prince, you'll see a lot of references woven throughout it. For example, we actually see Sokka's boomerang make an appearance in the in one of the earlier seasons, and you even hear Callum make a reference of, well, you know, the boomerang. I guess it always does come back. He ha he has some kind of weird connection to the boomerang. Most recently, in the most recent season, season five, there's even an episode where they go to a library that is protected by some mythical creatures that are also animals that are protecting this library of great forgotten secrets. You know, there's a lot of similar beats. I don't feel like it's ever derivative of Avatar, but there's enough references and homages that are paid to the original series that uh, keen keen viewers and people who are big fans will be rewarded for kind of paying attention to those special details. Rotten Tomatoes actually has this show at a score of 100%. Now, I'm not typically the a big proponent of Rotten Tomatoes, but in general, when you see extreme scores, I do think that it speaks overall to a general overall quality of a series. Now, I do think that that 100% score is coming from seasons one through three. Like I said, the series is kind of broken up into two, two pairs. Seasons one through three were, you know, in a bottle. That, may, that alone, that version of Dragon Prince, will seriously go down as one of my favorite shows I've ever seen of all time. It is great. The world, bending, the world building is borderline flawless. They, they breathe out such a, such a thorough world. 
as they go on this sprawling adventure exploring the different king the different areas of Zadia. I don't know that I'm willing to give it exactly 100% because while it executes so many things about its story and pacing and overall plot beats very much so perfectly, there are a few points where the series tends to falter. Even in those early seasons, I think the humor is one of the weaker aspects of this series. Uh, Even though I think the writing and the character motivation is really great, there are times where the dialogue is a little corny or it feels like it could have been punched up a little bit. That's one thing that the creators seem to struggle just a little bit with, is the physical dialogue that's shared between the characters. feels a little awkward. It feels a little stale. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but it's it's a minor blemish in what is overall a very well-executed series. Another thing I've seen a lot of people complain about this series, and what I think is actually the reason why not enough people watch it, is the animation style. They use a lot of like 3D animation. If you remember the end of Avatar The Last Airbender, there's a few scenes that, ha- that utilize this like, 3D animation or CGI, crossbred, crossbreed animation. It's very present in The Legend of Korra as well, in particular when they're depicting technology or like those you know big Gundam suits that they use at the end of, uh, of Legends of Korra. Uh, that is definitely present here. It's actually the main style that's used throughout. I definitely see why it's jarring. It stopped me from watching the show for a lot longer than when I chose to pick it up as well. While the animation style is definitely jarring, I definitely think it's worth getting through. Once you are used to it, it actually has its own charm to it. Now, as far as animation goes, this isn't one of the more impressive things on screen today. You know, you can go to anime or a lot of other animated series that are a lot more impressive in terms of what they do in animation. That being said, what they do is definitely a sufficient i don't think at any point the the draw for this series is based on the visuals i think the visuals do a very sufficient job at getting the great narrative across but it's you know it's just not one of the great things about this series is its animation the animation is just a vehicle to tell a great story so those are all points about the overall story of dragon prince the i think everything i just described is very consistent throughout all the seasons, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today, we want to break down the most recent season, season five, that just dropped on Netflix, and an overall mystery of Erevos, the second part of the series, because like I said, seasons one through three, I think they're untouchable. I think they're great. I'd even give them probably a nine out of 10. I think they're really, it's a really great set of seasons, the way they work together overall. Now, when season four picks up after the time skip, In my opinion, there was a significant drop in quality. I'm not exactly sure what that has to do with. I know that it came out during COVID. I'm sure that COVID, uh, it was early on COVID, the development of these episodes. And so I'm sure that that had a large part to play in that. But all of a sudden, Dragon Prince went from being this thing that I was telling everyone I knew to watch it. You got to watch it. There's about to be a time skip. They're going to get into the second half of the series. That's even longer than the first half. You know, all the hype was built around it. I was often comparing it to Game of Thrones. I was giving it a lot of praise. And then immediately with season four, I had even convinced a few people to catch up and start watching it. It was a major disappointment for me. Now, it was never going to the point of unwatchable or anything like that. It was still an enjoyable series. But where the highs left off in season three, I think that season four was just too low energy. The stakes were low. And the overall tone and writing of it felt really lighthearted. And that that was very present in the first season. But, you know, having aged our characters up, 
We're moving to bigger and better things. It feels like you should have aged up the tone of the series just a little bit more. There were even points in the series where during season four where, you know, characters like Rayla and Callum, who are love interests with each other, we see them paired together throughout the entire series leading up to this point. They separate them, which I didn't necessarily disagree with that as a narrative beat, but the chemistry between the characters was completely assassinated. I I didn't feel like there was a point at all in season four where the characters had any real chemistry. Even even between between Ezrin, I mean, the three main characters lost that that chemistry that drove them through the first three seasons. They didn't feel like a team anymore. And that's still something I don't feel like the series has necessarily captured in season five. I do think that it's getting a lot better and it's pick it's it's writing a lot of the wrongs that season four did. But one thing that still feels a little bit absent is a true chemistry between our main characters. But it does feel like we are slowly working our way towards that point again. In season four, we saw the continuation of the resurrection of Lord Viren, who acted as our main antagonist of the first series. Now, Viren was not working alone. He was actually aided by Erevos. He was kind of the devil on his shoulder. That being said, the overall decisions were being made by Lord Viren, and he was the main driver of all the conflict. So he was the main antagonist of the first three seasons. And then season four, like I said, is called Mystery of Erevos. So Erevos takes more of a stronger presence in this season, in this part of the series as the main antagonist. Now, he's not physically present, but his main goals is to have himself resurrected, freed from this eternal prison that he was put in uh, long ago before our story takes place. In order to free himself from this prison, we are seeing him still manipulate and kind of control Claudia and Lord Viren at this point. So in season four and then continuing into season five, what you see is Erevos in the background controlling those characters to eventually lead them to the point that will free him. Meanwhile, it's a race against time because our main characters, Ezrin, Callum, and Rayla, are trying to stop them or at least get to him first to mitigate whatever damage will be done there. The implication being that once Erevos is free, it's all GG's. He's just too powerful to deal with. The dragons and all the major powers at B did, they all work together to get him into that prison to begin with. And it's like a global effort to keep him there. So uh, I, I wonder if we'll see Erevos ending up being freed in the future. I have a hunch that we will. I have a hunch that it'll actually be at the hands of Callum, but we're not there. Let, let's Let's break down a few things here. So what I briefly touched on is our evil group. That's going to be Lord Viren, his daughter Claudia, and they're accompanied by a, a character that was introduced in season four, and that's Terry. Season four overall is a dark spot in the in the overall legacy of the Dragon Prince, but Terry is not one of those reasons. I think that Terry is a great character they introduced. Uh, to my knowledge, Terry is actually a trans character. I say to my knowledge because I feel confident that that is the description that they gave Terry, but it doesn't come up at all for Terry's character. It's just an aspect of Terry's character, and so it's easy to forget that about Terry. I actually don't think that they, you know, aside from a few dialogue scenes in season four, there's nothing dialogue-wise that is ever even relevant about that aspect of Terry's character, so... I mean, you you take it, you, you maybe, you don't have to think about it too much, and I appreciate that. Terry's such a great character. They they use Terry, I think Terry's a, very similar to Callum. You know, they use Callum as a, as a way to soften Rayla. 
uh, Rayla's very strong. You know, she's a warrior. She she always has her guard up. But then when they play her off of Callum, Callum shows her how to let loose a little bit, be more optimistic, and you know, go with the flow. And I think that they're using Terry in a very similar way to to Claudia in this season because Claudia is really turning down a dark path. It's one of the aspects I really love about the series is how they each season they make Claudia just a little bit, little bit, little bit more on the spectrum of morality where she's becoming evil. Now, in seasons one through three, that was largely driven by her father's influence. She aimed to please him. And we saw Soren break free of that cycle. Soren is also Lord Viren's son. And, you know, he had his redemption arc very early on in the series when he was challenged to actually kill Prince Ezrin, who was just a little child at the time. He, you know, he actually made that decision at the time, but we got a great redemption arc for Soren. So I love that. But they went the opposite direction with Claudia. And they use a lot of visual metaphors this season to show how much further Claudia is going down that dark path. And I think that she actually makes for a great, compelling villain. They're really setting up Claudia versus Callum as like main antagonist down the line. I imagine in the final season of the series, they're going to have an amazing mage battle. And it's been great to see Callum slowly getting his powers uh, more refined in the second half of the series, making Callum a lot more useful in the battle sense. Whereas in the first series, he really wasn't that useful. He was maybe a de facto leader of their team, but he was never really assisting them uh, physically in any physical engagements. But now he's become one of the most important people on their team, being considered the that their entire kingdom's uh, high mage. It's really awesome to see that. And like I said, Claudia is becoming more and more fierce of a foe and really turning down this dark path. It's interesting that they're pairing her with Terry because Terry might be one of the most righteous characters we've seen in the series. It's interesting that Terry is a main member of this bad group. He is actively helping them uh, try to achieve their dark and evil goals. That being said, in his mind, he's just helping the girl that he loves. And he'll, he'll do anything to help Claudia. And we see him walk her off ledges many times throughout the season and him playing a vital role in getting her to her destinations. I mean, together they make a very competent duo. I wonder at what point uh, that'll come to a head because from everything we've seen about Terry's character, once Terry has a full understanding of what he's really assisting Claudia and Viren do right now, you know, he thinks he's just helping the woman he loves save her father. Uh, minimally, that is what he's doing. But what he doesn't realize is that he's actually serving a much uh, darker purpose. I think once Terry realizes that, we'll actually either see Terry switch to our side or we'll see Terry defy Claudia. Maybe Claudia will really take a step in the dark direction and hurt or maybe even kill Terry. I think those are all options of things that we could see. Or we could see Terry go down the path of evil as well. That would be very interesting Terry's power set is very strong. He can control the forest around him for the most part. So seeing him as an antagonist would be very compelling as well. This season, they really started to introduce some narrative beats of redeeming Lord Viren, which I'm not really sure how I feel about. Lord Viren was deplorable, and I just don't know that we need his redemption arc this season. I think there's different ways that you could have approached the series that don't even really involve Lord Viren, but they made for some strong moments. This season, he's basically a husk, and Claudia and Terry are just dragging his body along, uh, bringing him to this point to potentially save his life. But, you know, they only have 30 days to do that. And this entire time, 
throughout the series, we're getting glimpses into his subconscious. We're seeing what's happening internally there as he struggles against Erevos in his mind. He struggles to make sense of the awful things that he's done in his life and the influ- the overall negative influence that he's had on his children. Now, I think the strong there's two really strong moments that are both from the point of view of Viren's mind, his psyche. And one of those is when we get revealed that at some point in the past, he actually brought back Soren from the dead. Soren is his other child. He has two children in the series. That's Soren and Claudia. And his whole character is all about how he will, he's not a bad guy, but he will do anything, and he means anything, to protect his children, uh, to protect his kingdom, to do whatever. He is not afraid to do dark magic. And it's implied heavily in the season that at some point when Soren was just a little kid that he got hurt in a terminal way and that Lord Viren did whatever it took to save him and it actually brought him back to life. Uh, the tragedy there being that you know later on Soren defies Lord Viren for the evil things that he does. So even though he brought him back to life, he still doesn't have the love or even respect of his child. You know, it gets very complicated because you know as a viewer, we love Soren. You know, he's he's great. You know, he's. I don't think the humor is particularly well done with Soren, but as a character, he is easy to like because he's happy-go-lucky and he just wants to help and protect everyone around him. Knowing that Viren did dark magic to bring him back to life brings a very interesting conflict into the conversation. Uh, this is one that uh, Callum, Callum picks up the sticks of this conflict very interestingly towards the end of the season as well. But it's, it really brings in a weird conversation of, is dark magic okay? It depends on what you're using to service the vehicle of this dark magic, you know. Uh, are you taking a life? What are you doing? It's it's very interesting. And uh, one thing that I appreciate that this show does is really call attention to when is it appropriate? Is it ever appropriate? And, you know, what makes a character make those decisions? So in a lot of ways, Viren and Callum kind of mirror each other at very different phases of their lives. We see Callum later on actually do dark magic to help his friends. It's a, it's a very big conflict for him. It's something that weighs very heavy on his heart. He promised himself that he would never do dark magic again because it has the potential to hurt living beings. But when when the alternative is, help, is saving his friends' lives... We see him make that choice. Is that really anything different than what Viren does? If anything, it's more compelling when Viren does it because it's his child. These are just Soren's, these are just Callum's friends. I guess it is his brother as well, to be fair, but, you know, there's not too much different about what those characters decide to do in that moment. It's easier to relate to Callum because we know how much of a good guy he is. We know how much he struggled and didn't want to do it. And these are our protagonists. So of course we feel like it's a lot more justified when Callum does it. But at the end of the day, when you look at what those characters did, it's exactly the same. You, we can put Callum on a similar morality scale to Sor- to Viren because of what happens in that episode. The way that they revealed Callum having done that dark magic was, I mean, 10 out of 10. I mean, the way that they set that up, the way that they revealed it, they knocked it out of the park. I did not see it coming whatsoever. He's being tortured in this in this episode by a pirate who really wants him to use dark magic to service his own goals. Uh, he's torturing Callum. Callum's really gone through the ringer in this episode. Uh, he ends up mentioning something that happened back in the first run of episodes. I believe it was in season three. It might have been at the end of season two when 
Callum actually uses dark magic for the first time. He isn't aware of the implications at the time, but he does it to to turn the chains of his friends into snakes. That's his one move he knows. Uh, after doing so, he promised himself he would never do it again. But in this episode, uh, Callum is definitely held up by chains. And at that point, you know, we think that he's just in the cellar. He's stuck. He's not going to be able to affect anything. And then we see the pirate go to, you know, go hurt his actual friends. Then we see Callum show up in the background. He's there to save the day. And as a viewer, there's so much action happening once the fight really breaks loose that you're not thinking, how did Callum get free? It's an afterthought for me. I mean, I assume they would have would have addressed it, but in my mind, I wasn't I wasn't feeling suspicious that Callum had succumbed to the pressure of doing dark magic or anything like that. At the end of the episode, we see Callum unlock a new magical ability. We see him free his friends. You know, the conflict is resolved and the day is saved. You think that Callum would be happy, but he's not. He's really sad. He's crying. He's really hurt. You think, oh, was there more torture than we realized? Like, wow, he seems really broken up about this. And then as the stinger of the episode, you, she, you, you pan back to the little dungeon he was in and you see two snakes slithering away, implying that Callum did what he had to do to protect his friends again. The way they did that reveal, the pacing of it, I just thought it was really well done. You know, they show Callum showing up and helping save the day. And then they have this little subplot where Soren convinces one of the henchmen to join them. Now, that subplot meant nothing at all to me. Uh, it was, you know, the Soren plots never really go anywhere, if I'm being honest. That being said, what what it was, what the, what the writers were doing were giving us... Uh, a breath they were giving us a moment to drop our guard focus on this little sub beat before we give you the big reveal it makes your brain not think about how how callum got out of those chains at least that's what it did for me they played my brain just like a fiddle and the the overall catharsis the impact that 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 reveal had at the end of the episode was very strong it's a plot beat that i'm sure we will return to at some point in the future of the series there's a subplot in this se- in this season uh, about the sun elves and you know there's like a whole power struggle going on it's a very interesting subplot i appreciate that it's vaguely tied into our main story mainly through the vehicle of aunt amaya who has married into this royal family now um that being said we're not clear on how this overall subplot will affect the future of the series i'm not necessarily that endeared to these characters this is a storyline that mainly got introduced in season four I do think that it's really well done. The writing, the dialogue, the line delivery. This is the most mature storytelling that's happening in the in the series. No, none of the characters involved in this storyline are those happy-go-lucky, innocent characters that we get when we're following Claudia and Terry, or when we're following Callum, Ezrin, and and, and Rayla. You know, everyone is adults. It's much more gritty. This one feels like you're watching Game of Thrones, and I really appreciate that. I'm not quite as endeared to the characters, but the it as far as writing is concerned, it's some of the best dialogue that we have in this season at all is all happening in the in the Sun Elves uh, subplot line. I think that they do a good job of touching on it throughout the season. They do it just enough, just enough to keep you interested in it, keep you engaged, but they don't give you too much of it to where uh, it's taking away from our main plot because that's where you really want to be spending most of your time. I don't have too much else to say about it other than I am interested. Uh, they set up the season. They set up the scene for a great uh, impact coming down next season. I'm sure it'll have greater overall Im- implications on the series as a whole. But at this time, I don't have too much else to say about it. 
the climax of the season was one of my favorite character interactions. It didn't necessarily feel like a season finale, if I'm being honest. I, I, t- you know, I ended that episode. I didn't think I was ending that season when I ended that episode. I went back to my TV the next morning to watch the next episode in huge anticipation, and there wasn't one for me. So while I do think that the interaction that we had there between Claudia, between Callum, Ezrin, and, and Rayla. It was a great one. The battle underwater that happened, I mean, I think that was probably one of the best action sequences we've had. All of these important characters are interacting with each other. There's major uh, there's major consequences that happens within that interaction. That being said, as the button to the season, it didn't quite work for me personally. But, I mean, that action sequence, I mean, come on. We see, we basically see... You know, but all the characters have to go underwater to achieve the goal that they want. It's a big race to get to this prison, right? And then what we see from Claudia is she actually starts to physically become a monster. This is a physical metaphor for what's been happening within her heart uh, throughout seasons one through five at this point. She's slowly been becoming less human and more of a monster like Viren. It's the same thing that we saw Viren do in seasons one through three, except for Claudia is even better at it. She's such a fierce opponent because she's fighting for the life of her father. She has a great attitude. She, you know, if she wasn't fighting on the side of evil, she would be an absolute queen. I mean, her ambition plus her raw talent, her skill, her 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 savviness. We see her take on a dragon this season, and we see her take on our three main characters alone. She does a very good job at what she does. I actually think that. Claudia has been written and built up as such a great antagonist and one that you can still care for. She she still is like a sweet character at the end of the day. She's a very complex one that I haven't really seen. You know, there's such thing as compelling villains, but in her case, she's actually just likable. And even though the what she's servicing is evil, for some reason, you just you can't hate her. You know that she's she's just a scared little girl fighting for her dad's life and approval. That being said, in this sequence, we actually see Rayla cut off one of her tentacles. She's basically become an octopus monster under the sea when we're fighting for her. And what I didn't realize at the time, what gets revealed as she exits the ocean, is she basically cut off her leg. Yeah. Uh, Claudia does not have a, uh, one of her legs anymore. Uh, she has major. She has now received major loss and consequence for going down this dark path that she has with her father. That's something we've seen is the more and more that you do dark magic, the more you consequence your own soul. Uh, there, Another meta, visual metaphor that they give us for Claudia is her hair is becoming more and more white. At one point, it was just a small streak in her hair, but the more dark magic she does, the more white that it takes over. My prediction uh, for the future of the series is that we'll see Claudia probably with a monster leg, some type of demonic or animal-based thing that she sacrifices another living being to attain something to replace that leg because let's be honest Claudia's not going to be hopping around here with one leg maybe we'll get a prosthetic leg for it but I imagine something a little darker I think her hair is going to become fully white we might see her lose an arm as well I think that you know I don't really see a redemption arc for Claudia what I see is a major a, a major climax at the end of the series she's gone full monster and it's up to Callum uh, who originally was set up as you know he had a crush on her in those early in those early days of this series back when they were just kids he had an innocent little crush on her and I think it's gonna be a dark mage monster versus Callum the the bright mage maybe a little assist from Soren in there as well just to really tug on the heartstrings. 
I think, you know, with two more seasons to go plan for this series, you know, obviously that can always change, especially with animation nowadays. What's going on with Cartoon Network? What's going on with Warner Brothers? You never know when an animated series is just going to get the can. So I really hope that this series gets those two extra seasons that I know the team has planned for. But what I really want to see in the next season, season six, penultimate season, is I want to see some consequences. I think it's time that some more of our main characters die. I mean, even Lord Viren came back to life last season. There's not a lot of major consequences that happen. Claudia losing her leg here is one of the first times that we're really seeing something substantial happen. You know, there is an implication. There was a, uh, a prophecy that happened in season four that Callum would actually be the key somehow to the freedom of Erevos. I think that we're going to see a little bit more of a corruption in Callum's direction. I'm really, that's probably what I'm most interested in is seeing how we play further with Callum's character. Two characters that I think got the short end of the stick in this season are actually Prince Ezrin and the Dragon Prince Zim. Those characters are they're very present in the season, but their dialogue is kind of wasted. Uh, they don't really affect the plot in very many important ways, whereas in seasons one through three, they were so important. They were vital to everything. Um, and, you know... They're, they're kind of the namesake of the series, but the more interesting characters right now are Callum, Rayla, and Claudia. So I'm not too interested in in Ezrin or Zim's individual plot lines yet, but I think with season six, you know, there's an implication that Zim's mom is going to have turned into like a zombie evil version of herself at this point. I think there's going to be some right opportunity for them to step up in the plot line. And that's exactly what I want to see moving forward. But yeah, you know, overall, I do think that this season is a return to form for Dragon Prince. I think it's just about as good, if not better than some of the seasons in the first three seasons. I mean, as far as individual moments go, a lot of my favorite moments of the series are in the season for sure. Um, the way that they pace it out, the way that they, the, I appreciate that the show gives its characters times to time to grow, and that they're not afraid to make a character arc actually stretch out over the course of multiple seasons, and that's something that the show does greatly. Um, again, some critiques that I have are some of the dialogue scenes, especially with our main characters. The humor is not funny at all. I want to love the humor, but I really don't like it. It's a little innocent. It's a little happy-go-lucky. And I don't think I, I think that that is a part of the charm of Dragon Prince. But I mean, some of it really deserves to, to punch up a little bit. I imagine that they they film the voice acting separate because the chemistry feels a little bit weak when we're talking about our main characters talking to each other. And that's specifically when the action isn't happening, when it's just dialogue that's meant to just be character building and whatnot. You know, when you compare it to Avatar, which, again, the creators, a lot of creators did work on Avatar that are working here. You know, I the, the character dynamics are just a little bit lacking in comparison. So that's something I really like to see them increase on, you know, tone up the series a little bit. Let's get out of the kitty humor. And I think that we've got something really great on our hands here. Like I said, this really is Game of Thrones meets Avatar The Last Airbender. I, I feel very confident in that comparison. And I'm just so happy that season five came back swinging after season four had me a little bit doubting what the longevity of this series was going to be. But yeah. Dragon Prince, Mystery of Erevos. This is a series I couldn't be more excited to dive into. And, you know, hopefully there's a future of me discussing further seasons down the line. 
uh, here on The Darius Show. Thank you so much for giving me a listen. I know episodes aren't coming out very fast. I get that. I have a busy life. I've got anxiety. It's tough to get them all out there. But if you're listening to this, if you made it this far, if you're one of the few that probably did, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, you know, keep listening. Let's let's make this happen, right? All right, that's going to bring us to a close. Thank you for listening to The Darius Show, and remember, I love you.